So we are in this summer series where you, you get the opportunity to hear our entire teaching team uh, throughout the next, really the next seven weeks. And what we're doing is we are uh, walking through some Old Testament legends. We're walking through this uh, summer series all together, and you're going to hear different things, different, different elements from different people uh, of, of stories in the Old Testament that you may have heard, that you may not have heard. And we're believing that in that, uh, that we'll be the type of church that doesn't just abandon the Old Testament, but sees the beauty in the Old Testament and realize that God's plan is woven all throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament, and it's this beautiful story, even the lives of people. You know, sometimes we have the, the temptation to idolize people because of significant things that they did when I think the Old Testament is actually an incredible set of letters and books and accounts of people that actually were not incredible but were submitted to an incredible God and willing to follow his instruction. And it's really actually encouraging uh, to you and to me to say that God will use ordinary people if we simply say, hey, I'll follow, I'll listen, I'll submit my life to you. And God, whatever you want to do in my life and through my life, I'm totally cool with. So that's kind of the direction we're going in the Old Testament. I did want to let you know about one more thing before we dive into today's uh, message, uh, is another event that's taking place at summer at Northwood. And this is one to put on your calendar, but also to register for, and this is for all of you. It's our night of worship times four. We'll have all four locations together right here in this room, and also we will have some other guest worship leaders from other churches in our community and maybe other places, friends of Northwood. Here's the reason we're asking you to register is because we believe everybody wants to be here, and we want to make sure we have space for you. Uh, we want to make sure that we have the right seating and we want to create a great environment. As, as our mission is, we create environments uh, that help people. They're Christ-centered environments that help people know God, grow in Christ, and go in the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's July 15th. Go on, and like Brittany said, you can pull out your phones real quick and register. Um, but if you're on your phone too much, I'm going to call you out publicly, just so you know. I'm just kidding. Let's pray, and we'll dive into today's message. God, we thank you we thank you for this moment, God, this slot in time that you've allowed us to gather together. So God, I pray that everything that takes place over the next 30, 35 minutes, God, that it would, it would be good for us, but ultimately that it would glorify you. God, we do pray our mission yet again that, that somehow, some way today, we would take a story that we've probably all heard, uh, that we could all probably recite and share, but God, that you would help us to know you in a greater way. God, that you would help us to grow in becoming more like Jesus and less like ourselves, that there would be transformation that takes place in our hearts and our lives today, and God, that we would go. God, that this message, God, that our encounter with you today would be impactful enough to move us outside of our seats, outside of our comfort zones, and that we would go outside of these four walls or outside of uh, the rooms that we're watching this service in, and we would go empowered by the Holy Spirit uh, for the rest of our lives or until you return. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, we are going to be early on in the New Testament. We'll actually be in Genesis chapter 6. And so if you do have your Bible, you can open there, open your phone to that Genesis chapter 6, and we are going to be discussing uh, what, what's believed to be the 10th generation of human, uh, a man named Noah. How many of you have ever heard of Noah? 
perfect. So then I've got to really keep you engaged because you're all like, all right, I already know this story. You like hit the mile markers, let's go. You're already at lunch in your mind. But uh, I believe that God's going to speak to us today through his word. And uh, so here's kind of a little bit of background about Noah. Today's going to be a little bit of teaching, uh, a little bit of preaching. Again, my goal is not to make Noah something absolutely incredible, but to make God something absolutely incredible. When we walk out of this room, we say, what an incredible God we serve. And I think that's the way that we can continue to read the word. But uh, Noah is a 10th generation human. Uh, there are eight generations between him and the OG human, Adam. Okay, so you've got Adam and then his great, 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 I lost count, but you get the idea. His great, 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 whatever son is Noah. The lifespan of people in those days was a little bit different than it is today. You see generations overlap in a lot of different ways in the age and the life. You would see multiple generations um, that would have lived together and occupied the world together. Um, Noah would not have met his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandpa, Adam, but Noah's father would have. Adam was on the planet when, for 56 years when Noah's father, Lamech, was. So you've got, you know, we don't know the conversations, we don't know the stories that were told, the grandfather moments that were there, but we do see some pretty pretty unique stories, some pretty rich lineage in Noah's bloodline. You see Adam, who we all know did make a mistake, but also we all know that he, he walked with God. <laughs> what, what, what an incredible lineage to, to be able to pass down to people. We see other people in his lineage, a great-grandfather, Enoch, who's one of only two humans that never experienced death that walked a life pleasing to God in such a way that God saw fit to bring him up to heaven without Enoch tasting death. That's in the word of God. So you're like, what? Tell me about him. I don't wanna hear about, no, I wanna hear about that. How do I do that? <laughs> it's only happened twice, okay? But you've got this in the lineage. You've got Methuselah, who's the oldest human to, to live, who died the year of the infamous flood that we'll discuss here in just a little bit. So you've got this rich lineage of people that lead up to this man named Noah, but you've also got, in the midst of this rich lineage, you've got uh, a lot of non-rich lineage. You've got a lot of corruption. You've got a lot of poor choices. And Genesis 6 begins to speak to us. Actually, in 6, 8, it says that there's this man named Noah who found favor with God. And then verse 9 says this, Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless in his generation. It says Noah walked with God. This is not the same walking with God that Adam did, but this word walked with God means that he obeyed God. He obeyed him, he obeyed his commandments, and that was considered, that still is considered walking with God. And it says in verse 10 that Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Verse 11, now the earth was corrupt. So we've just learned that there's this righteous man, but in the midst of a righteous man living, we see corruption all around. Verse 11, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. 
Things were not pleasant in early humanity. From the time of Adam, mankind grew in wickedness. They just got better at being wicked. <laughs> it's, not, it's trending in the wrong direction, but this is what we see. But it gets to such a spot where mankind has distanced himself so far from what God had created man to be, to walk with God, to be with God, for he to be our God and us to be his people. It gets to such a spot that God is prepared to act justly towards mankind. Why? Because God is just. But in verse 9, it says that there's this man named Noah that found favor with God. He was righteous. He obeyed him. So you kind of get the picture. First, let me just encourage you, just total side note, but real quick point. You can live righteously in wicked times. Like, you can do it. You can do it. Wickedness can be around. Corruption can be around. Perversion can be around. But that doesn't mean that you have to fall prey to it. That is a principle that we can draw from Noah's life. But imagine what this is life to be at, uh, what life is like or what the world is like to be at such a spot where God says, I've got to, I've got to act justly because of the unrighteousness, because of the unholiness, because of what's taking place in this earth. And what he does is God tells Noah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And essentially when God tells Noah that he's going to do this, it starts a countdown clock from when judgment is coming. And it's about 120 years. 120 years of a countdown. Now in the midst of this, when, when God says what's going on, there's this man that's righteous, not because of his doings, but because he's submitted and followed the word of the Lord. He's righteous, he's found favor with God. God instructs Noah. And I already see some of you kind of disengaging because you know where this is going, but I'm asking you to stay with me because in verse 14, God instructs Noah to get to work. In verse 14, he says this, Noah, he says, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Some of you ask, what's gopher wood? A lot of people have asked what gopher wood is. Some people believe it's Cyprus. Others believe, other historians believe that gopher wood was something that existed pre-flood and then after flood it's no longer in existence. But nonetheless, God says, Noah, make an ark out of gopher wood. And then he starts to give some instructions. He says, make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. He says, this is how you are to make it. And the length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof of the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. So God is laying out the template for the way that Noah is supposed to build this thing that he wants to use to save humanity with it. He says, build it this way. Just some fun facts about the ark. Just, these are party tricks for you. Uh, the ark would have been like a third the size of the Titanic if you followed these measurements. Some of you are like, what is a cubit? A cubit actually varies per person. It's the elbow to the fingertip. 
That was a cubit, okay? So these are some of the instructions and the actual dimensions um, were so effective, actually was used up until the 1900s to build ships with the same dimensions because according to naval architectural, like structural engineers, it says that this ratio, a one to six ratio, the 30-50 is nearly unsinkable in the ocean. And God, I, I don't believe that God actually Ask some structural engineers. <laughs> what an amazing God, right? <laughs> but like, like this is what God is instructing Noah to do. And Noah does something very, very odd for a man in that day, but honestly, very, very odd for a man today. Some of you ask what it is. He followed the instructions. <laughs> you know, when you get that box of furniture you're supposed to build, <laughs> and you say, eh, I don't know how to do this. Four pieces of wood and something else. <laughs> eh, this is about a cubit. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Noah does something that actually goes against some natural instincts. He surrenders. And he says, I'll do, I'll do what you said. Noah gets instructions from God and he assumes the responsibility to build. And can I say this, that God has laid out instructions for what our lives are to be. But you and I are responsible to build. This is not something that we can put on someone else this is not something that we can require of another person or say, hey, you, because of who you are, you do that for me. Every single person has a responsibility to build. We want, God was instructing mankind to build an ark because the ark was going to give hope. The ark was going to give peace. The ark was going to give life. The ark was going to continue the purpose of mankind. God put this thing inside a man and said, do this and it's going to be good for you. But it's also going to glorify me because we were created to be people that worshiped God, that dined with God, that were close to God, that were righteous. And the only way that that could continue is if righteousness was preserved. So God says, let's do this, and it's going to be good for you, but also it's going to glorify me, which is actually our chief purpose, is to live a life that glorifies God, that gives him worship, that makes him known. God puts this legitimate need inside of humanity still today, this purpose, this something inside of us that, that wants what the ark life will give us, but so often we try to build the ark our own way, our own style, our own cubit with the wrong tool. I heard one preacher say this recently. He says, oftentimes we make illegitimate attempts at legitimate needs. We have this need that God has placed inside of us for peace. But what do we do? We reach to something else other than the source and the object that can bring us true peace. We desire deeply love. We were created for, what do we do? We reach to something or someone else to achieve this thing that God has put inside of us. 
We want joy. So what do we do? Reach to that thing, that substance, that thing that gives us temporary pleasure or happiness. We empty our bank accounts to get to a vacation that is subpar. And we come back without the very thing that God created us for, joy. Thank God Noah said, I'll follow your instructions. I'll follow your instructions. Tools, things that we can draw from the life of Noah. Noah follows his instructions for a long time. And in a world that hates anything that takes long to get, Noah lives a different lifestyle than that. I love to cut my grass. I really do. It's one of the very few things in life that gives me instant satisfaction. That's why I like to do it. Uh, also because I've got a very competitive neighbor and I like to make him look bad. <laughs> Mr. Bill, if you're watching, <laughs> coming for you. You know, <laughs> in a life-giving way, of course. <laughs> we love things that give us instant happiness. God instructs Noah to do this thing and remember he doesn't say in 120 years, this is what's going to happen. He just says, Noah, get to work. We have the benefit of looking at the other side of the story and seeing the timelines of what this actually equated to. Now, from the time that Noah started and the time that the ark was complete, there are some differing opinions. And the truth is that Either way that it actually lands doesn't destabilize our faith. Some people say that it was as few as 40 years. That no, Some of you are like, as few as 40? <laughs> That's terrible. As few as 40 years. And this is really based on looking at um, when he was, in, by the way, Noah was instructed to build the ark at the age of, according to the word of God, about 500 years old. <laughs> Be encouraged if you're up in age. You actually see Noah's most fruitful time of the year in the second half of his life. When all of us are thinking, I'm done, I'm on the shelf, God says, hey, as long as you got breath in your lungs, let's go. But you see, Noah get this instruction, and the time between when he gets the instruction, or I'm sorry, when he gets the warning that God is going to act justly on mankind, and when he actually gets the instruction to build the ark, that's where the differentiating is. It can be anywhere from 40 years to 120 years that Noah spends doing the right thing, following instructions. Following instructions. Have you ever been faithful and done the thing that you knew was right according to the word of God and it appeared to be fruitless? Fruitless faithfulness can be potentially quite harming to the soul. Noah had to keep reminding himself of the word of the Lord, had to keep reminding himself of what was right. Noah had to keep reminding himself of all of these things. We see this taking place in Noah's life that he just keeps going for a really long time. And what does Noah do in between the gap 
of God's word and the fulfillment of God's word, like his word, what he said is going to happen, then when it actually happens, he works, he builds, he follows the instructions, but also according to 2 Peter, uh, 2 Peter said that Noah was a herald of righteousness, which means while he was working, he was proclaiming the word of the Lord. He was either doing it through speech or literally his actions, his work was proclaiming the word of the Lord. Oftentimes the greatest message that you ever preach is not the one that you publicly speak, but it's the life that you live. When you look in the Old Testament, every single Old Testament prophet, they spoke certain words, but their life was actually a prophetic word of the coming Messiah. It was the life that they lived, not just the voice that they shared publicly. So Noah is heralding righteousness for a long time. I wonder if there were ever times that he said, that's enough, I'm done. You'll see it on the screens, but faithfulness could appear at times to be fruitless. Can I just encourage you, keep going. Keep going. When you put your trust and your faith in the word of the Lord, the Bible, it will not return void. Keep going. Keep going. So Noah does this for from the time he gets instruction to the time that this actually manifests itself anywhere from 40 to 120 years. All of the stories that are laid in the midst of that timeline, I wonder how much mockery he received. I wonder how much doubt he received and it's only separated by a few verses in Genesis 6 to verse 7, but it does say in Genesis 7, verse 11, something significant. It says this, in the 600th year of Noah's life, it's a long time, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened. What God had said that he was going to act justly is beginning to take place right here. And it says, rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day that these things took place, Noah and his sons Shem and Ham and Japheth, and then Noah's wife, and then his three sons' wives, it says they entered the ark. The one that Noah had spent, what for all of us would have been a lifetime building, Noah enters into the ark. They and every beast according to its kind and all the livestock according to their kinds and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature, they went into the ark with Noah. Two and two of all flesh in which there was the breath of life. Verse 16, and those who entered, male and female of all flesh, went in. And as God commanded him, they did what God had commanded them to do. And it says, the Lord shut him in. We've spent 20 minutes getting to this spot. He spent 100 years getting to this spot. From the moment that rain begins, it rains and rains for 40 days and nights. According to the word of God, the flood stayed for 150 days. 
for 100 days the flood that has revealed the justice of God, has rid the world of unrighteousness. For 100 days the flood resides. You're nearly a full year in this ark. Noah, through a series of events, sends out a dove. There's an olive branch involved. You can go to Genesis 6 and 7. You can read all of these things. And God says, it's over. You're safe. You're free. What you built has sustained you. Now enter in. It's a new life. It's a new creation. He seals, he seals that moment with a rainbow over the sky saying, I'll never do this again. He says, I'm not going to flood the earth ever again. And when his family steps off the boat, they were saved. Noah's faithfulness to God's word preserved his family. I'm not saying it saved his family, but I am saying this, that his faithfulness absolutely influenced the people around him. Again, your faithfulness will influence others around you. And if we leave the story at that, we see about this God that's got some characteristics that, that chose a certain person to do something and we walk away saying, okay, thank you. Thank you, God, for preserving humanity. But buried inside of this message, in one sense it's buried, but in the other sense it's completely obvious, we see some more pieces to the puzzle. We see two of God's incredible attributes of who he is on full display we see these characteristics of who God is right there in front of us. We see this just God, and we see this remarkably merciful God all in the same story. In a world that says there can't be a God that's just and merciful, they don't coexist. In the story of Noah, the, the justness of God, the justice of God, and the mercy of God perfectly intersect. Perfectly intersect. How so? We see that God is just. We see that God, in Noah's life, it serves as a reminder to us that judgment, that judgment will come. Second Peter says the day of the Lord will come. God is true to his word because of who he is, because he's holy, that he will deal with unrighteousness. That's a reality of who God is, but in the same way that he's incredibly just, we see that he is remarkably merciful. In Noah's life, we see how merciful and gracious of God to give so much time to corruption. 120 years, he warns. That's a lifetime of mercy. The vast majority of us will not last to 120 years. God extends 120 years of warning. This time span allowed righteousness to be heralded for, for Noah's life to be a living testimony of what was going on. You see the justice and the mercy of God all in the same picture. 
But all throughout the Old Testament, keep in mind that God has desired for mankind to be close to him. And from the moment that Noah's eighth generation back grandfather fell into sin and separation occurred, God went on this mission. He had a plan in place to bring mankind back to himself, to to save and to preserve humanity. And it's right here in Noah's story. Let's go back to one piece of the ark that God constructed, the door. Verse 16 said this, make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door, the door. What does the mean? Singular. For this massive ship, for this massive thing that's going to preserve humanity and all living things, make the door of the ark and place it in its side. God's plan is buried right here in the ark. This was a foreshadowing of another door that was going to be given to offer mercy to humanity. From Noah's ark, we see God's plan already in play. In the New Testament, a man by the name of Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 9, he says this, I am the door. I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he'll be saved. And he'll go in and out and find pasture. Find pasture. Find the life that you were actually created for. Find hope, find joy, find peace, find love, find the very ark life that you were created for, but there's only one way. You see in this story, Noah obeyed God by building a boat and climbing into that wooden boat to save a few people. Jesus obeyed God, his father, by living a life, a perfect life, and climbing onto a wooden cross to save humanity. And according to the Bible, anyone who enters through this door, they'll be saved. Noah's story has so much in it. For those of you that have been doing the right thing, following the instruction of the Lord for a long time, and you're discouraged, be encouraged today. Keep going. Your faithfulness of following the word of the Lord will end fruitful, even if it's post-life. The greatest fruit is at the end of your life. But can I also say this for those of you that have tried to do it your own way, to build the life that you feel you need or feel that you're creative, or you're doing your own way today might be the day that you submit your life to the will of the Lord, to the one door that actually leads to eternal life, Jesus. Would you guys bow your heads with me for just a minute?
God, today, we surrender. God, we surrender this moment to you. With every head bowed and with every eye closed, we're just asking you to, to have a moment where you ask the same way that Pastor Jordan said earlier, to just allow the Lord to search our hearts. Allow the Lord to search our hearts right now. If there's people in this room that have grown weary and doing well, it's okay to acknowledge it. It's okay to say, God, thank you for reminding me today. God, today I surrender to your plan, your instructions yet again. God, I trust that what you said is true and I surrender my life. God, even though the critics are around, God, the doubt is present, but God, your word is true. I hold on to it. For those of you that have been trying to build your life apart from Christ, today's the day to surrender your life to Christ. If you're in this room and you're saying, that's, that's where I'm at. I've never actually entered in. I've never surrendered to the work of Jesus. Today you can do that. And what I wanna do is I wanna lead you in a prayer. If that's you, I just ask you to agree in your heart with me this. God in heaven, today you're speaking to me. You might be online right now or right here in this room, but you're saying, God, you're speaking to me and, and I'm responding to what you're speaking. God, I believe that this is true. God, I repent of trying to build my life in my own way and today I surrender my life to you. I surrender my life to Jesus, the one who gives true life. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and today I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. So God, I pray a prayer of thanksgiving. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for setting me free. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.